Our scripture reading for tonight comes from the book of Psalms, chapter 1. It reads, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers, and not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction." And this is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening, and I join uh, Devana Brazier in welcoming you. I'm Bart Garrett, the lead pastor here. And uh, I just want to offer a couple opening words on, on four S's, if you caught them. And Devana already spoke eloquently to two of them. But the service the season, the series, and the scripture. Uh, firstly, this service is, as Devana said, an Ash Wednesday service, and it is an unusual service because it gives us the opportunity to imagine life apart from God. And the suggestion here is that life apart from God is a disintegration. It quite literally is going down an escalator toward disease and death and decay. We wear out, we wear down, it's why uh, in a few moments you'll be offered the imposition of ashes because it is an imposition because apart from God, we are to remember that we are but dust and to dust we shall return. And it's an imposition because we tend to want to deny, ignore, and avoid death. But this service uh, invites us to look at it head on. Second S, season. This is the Lenten season. That's a peculiar word to us, but in Old English, it's Lincoln, which is uh, where we get the word Lent or spring, because it's when we watch the days lengthen. We anticipate light and life. And in the Christian tradition, Jesus overpowering the darkness of sin and death. So we are following Jesus to his death in some way, somehow, a way that will bring us life. So why 40 days? Well, I think there's probably a theological reason and a practical reason. Theologically, you had the people of God uh, wandering for 40 years in the wilderness. Jesus, as the true Israelite, spent 40 days in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. Uh, this is a 40-day journey as well. But practically speaking, a lot of psychologists will tell you it takes 40 days to kick a bad habit, it takes 40 days to pick up a new one. So this is a moment for us to take off some vices, to pick up some virtues. Um, I loved, I lead a men's group on Wednesday mornings and we were praying this morning. I love what one of the men prayed. He said, uh, in this Lenten season, would you disrupt the ruts in my life? That's what Lent is really all about. And then thirdly, this series is the cry of the soul. I borrowed the title from a favorite book I read about 15 years ago. Uh, and that's, it's this notion as we look through the Psalms that we're invited to trust God with our difficult emotions. So if you could consider for a second the last time you felt 
angry and your blood was boiling or you were ashamed and you kind of felt that uh, blush in your cheeks or you were anxious and your stomach was tied in knots or you were despairing and listless, something happened on the horizontal plane relationally to provoke that emotion. And yet, every emotion reflects something to the vertical dimension about our relationship with God. See, we tend to uh, vent our emotions or suppress our emotions, but Scripture is actually right in the middle of Scripture. We have 150 prayers that are urging us to pray our emotions to God. So that's where we're going to be in this series. And this first psalm, Psalm 1, the Scripture, the fourth S, where we are tonight, is actually not a prayer. You could think about it a bit more like a trail map or an orientation to prayer. And it's a signpost that is pointing in two different directions the way of life, and the way of death. Blessing, the way of blessing, the first word in the psalm, the way of perishing, the way of destruction, the last word in the psalm. A flourishing life, a withering life. You could think about it like an art exhibit, and suppose you walk into this really large gallery, and you expect to find all sorts of paintings, but there's actually only one painting there, you look at the painting, and it's of a man who's shaking his fist, looking up at the heavens, angry with God. And there's a little plaque beside that painting, and it says, self-sufficiency. And then you go to the other art gallery, and you expect to find all these paintings, and there's only one painting. And there's this woman, she's on her knees, her head is bowed, her hands are open in prayer to God. And there's a plaque on the wall that reads, dependence. That's Psalm 1. A life of self-sufficiency or a life of dependence. And you might be thinking, well, isn't that just a primitive, naive uh, notion, a way of looking at reality, good, bad? This is what the fundies do. You're in, you're out. Religion is just sort of shrink-wrapping what is usually a really complicated life. And I would say no. In fact, the Psalms will dive deeper if you join us in the weeks to come. We'll wrestle with the spiritual and intellectual and emotional and relational complexity. But Psalm 1 should grab your attention because it suggests really there are two paths, two postures, two movements, two motivations. You can walk, stand, and sit with the righteous, or you can walk, stand, and sit in the counsel of the wicked. And we would still say, well, life is so much more complicated than that. I think about it like a Google map. If you're uh, mapping out directions from San Francisco to New York, you could zoom in and you could get to the step to step and you could see the jig and the jag. But if you pull way out, zoom out, you see that it really is a straight line. And there's a sense in which this psalm is a view from eternity, a straight line of a life that withers away into nothing or a straight line of a life that flourishes to more and more and more life. This psalm suggests that there is a life we all want. So I want to look at that for just a moment. And then secondly, I want to look at a couple building blocks of the life that we want. And then thirdly, very quickly, I want to look at a stumbling block to the life that we want. Firstly, the life that we all want. Uh, you've heard it said that there are resume virtues and there are eulogy virtues And the resume virtue, every virtue in a resume, good, bad, ugly, equips you to succeed, to win, to excel in a capitalistic economy. But the eulogy virtues, the ones we want set of us at our funeral, things like kindness, courage, compassion, wisdom, integrity, love, humility, these virtues, I think, are actually connected to what I might call 
virtue under the virtue. There's a substrata to these eulogy virtues that Psalm 1 is talking about. It's a person of two things, stability and substance. All the other, wisdom, integrity, love, humility, compassion, they flow out of a life of stability and substance. The Psalms describe it as the roots of this tree. So you see a picture in verse 3 of stability, this tree that's planted firmly by streams of water. The source of stability never dries up. The roots can always drink in the water. So I love trail running. I love hiking on the trails at Shell Ridge. And if you know Shell Ridge, you know there's the Indian Creek Trail. That's where all the trees are, right? The roots are sunk deep into that water. In this life of stability, this tree, also we see in verse 3, yields its fruit in season. So imagine for a second how unstable your life would be if it was premised on your fruitfulness, your salary, your production, your intellectual and social capital, your health, your popularity. The actor uh, Michael J. Fox, who became famous playing Alex P. Keaton in Family Ties in the 1980s. I think the first time I experienced a a certain substance in my eyes was when uh, Ellen and Alex P. Keaton broke up and Billy Vera and the Beaters played the song in this moment and some of you are nodding your heads and, and the teenagers are like, who are you? You're so weird and crazy. But he went on, Michael J. Fox, to develop Parkinson's and he wrote a book entitled Lucky Man and this is what he wrote. He says, an actor's burning ambition, when you think about it, is to spend as much time as possible pretending to be somebody else. For those of us lucky or unstable enough to become professional performers, the uncertainty about who we really are only increases. For many actors, this self-doubt is like a worm eating away at you and growing incongruously in direct proportion to your level of success. No matter how great the acceptance, adulation, and accumulation of wealth, gnawing at you always is the deep-seated belief that you are a fake, a phony. Even if you can BS your way through whatever job you're working on now, you'd better prepare for the likelihood that you're never going to get another one. Contrast this stable life in verse 3 that yields its fruit in season. Again, imagine how unstable your life would be if premised on fruitfulness, your salary, your production, your health, your popularity, you would be anxious, you would be unsteady, you would be flighty and flimsy and misaligned because there will always be seasons of fruitlessness in a life. So if you base your life on looks or popularity or wealth, then you're always gonna be looking in the mirror or at the polls or at the markets. And that's no way to live. If I could skip, away, skip to the last question, I would say, is God the source of your life? If not, then what is? Will it sustain you in the desert, in times of famine? And the second aspect of the life that I think we all want, and more significantly that Psalms 1 suggests we should want, is substance. A life of stability, a life of substance. Again, the picture is verse 3, a leaf that doesn't wither, contrasted to verse 4, the chaff that the wind blows away. I think about those, those movie cutouts that are larger than life, and you see the characters in those movie cutouts, and they're huge, but you go up and you 
uh, grab it and it's hollow. There's no substance to it. It's like one centimeter thick. It's only a facade. But a substantial person, you can literally fall into, can't you? They can hold you. Even the construction of this psalm, the first three verses of a substantial life, and then this little verse four and five couplet, like the chaff, the wind just sort of blows away. Think back to the eulogy virtues. Kindness, compassion, courage, wisdom, integrity, humility. From where do they flow? They flow from a life of stability and substance. So if that's the life we want, this psalm gives us a couple building blocks to that kind of life. And we catch them in verse 2. These are the people who delight in the law of the Lord, number one, and two, meditate on that law day and night. And this is not merely an ethical equation. Obey the law equals live right. Because think about it. Delight in the law of the Lord. How peculiar. You know, we don't stand in front of a speed limit 55 sign and just delight in that sign. That's because the law of the Lord, Torah, is an all-encompassing concept, the plan of God. Yes, law, command, but also will, story, instruction, miracle. There's this great word we learned in English class called synecdoche. Maybe some of you remember it. It's where a part represents the whole. So you look at a car and you say, nice wheels. That's synecdoche. This is synecdoche, the plan of God, the way of God, all of it. Are we delighting in it? And the other thing about this in verse 2 is that it's teleological, which is a really fancy word, but it begins with the end in mind. Delighting in is the end, but the beginning is the first part of the verse, meditating on. Many theories of meditation would be totally distracting tonight. Suffice it to say, in this psalm, we're talking about the discipline of rolling it over and over and over in our heart and in our mind. Because we are creatures of desire. We are creatures of love and delight. And as creatures of desire, we must discipline those desires toward proper delights. In other words, habits become patterns, become rhythms that cut and forge and shape our lives, that fashion our delights. So the building blocks of the life we want is the proper discipline to then delight in the right things and ultimately the right one. Now when I talk about discipline after the pandemic, let's be honest. It's like you finish a marathon, I'm like, go run another one. Or you're in line at Krispy Kreme, and I'm like, now's the time to go on a diet, you know. I'm really extroverted, and let me be honest, I still feel it when people are like, oh, let's go out. Oh no, let me stay in, I got so many shows to watch, come on. But could I suggest each of us start somewhere? Take a baby step. 15 minutes. What can I do in 15 minutes in a day? Well, there are actually five podcasts that in 15 minutes a day would walk you through the entire Bible in a year. Seven minutes in the morning, seven minutes in the evening, 15 minutes of morning and evening prayer. Or maybe with our with our wealth, if you're one of those three lattes, lattes a week person, I'm not judging you here, but it's about 20 bucks now because you have to leave a tip when you put your credit card there, you know. 20 bucks a week, that's $1,054 a year. That's two Compassion Kids sponsored. That's more than enough for one of our students to go to summer camp. 
But the problem is, finally, there's also a stumbling block to the life we want. And here it is. The Christian life is not firstly a self-help life. In other words, we are, as Augustine said, homo in curvatus in se. Turned away from God, we are human beings who are turned inward upon ourselves. But there is one who faced upward. There's one who looked outward. And Jesus said in John's Gospel, chapter 4, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And that work would take Jesus to the cross. And Lent is first and foremost a journey to the cross. And the late Anglican minister, John Stott, put it so well. He says, before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. So I conclude with these words, back to the withering life, the self-sufficient life, that I'm doing just fine all by myself life, the box-out tactics that I'm using to keep God at bay life, the, the ruts that need to be disrupted life. Or maybe I'll ask it this way, maybe some of you tonight are on the fringes of faith, you're exploring Christianity. The question I would have is, what would it take, what would it take to turn the stumbling block, Jesus, into the starting blocks of a new life. For you, it might be addressing some church trauma, some anxiety around religion, some fear, some doubt, but take those steps this Lenten season. You know, this is really a message for, for teenagers and 20-somethings and 30-somethings and 40-somethings and 50-somethings because you're still sort of crafting your disciplines and, and cutting your life and you may be in your 60s and 70s or even 80s and you're saying well well i'm kind of done with all that but let me say to you tell us it's worth it thank god that you're here this night god knows where you were 40 years ago <laughs> this is a moment think about that google google map analogy from eternity's vantage point your life is a straight line not of withering but of flourishing. Even when your body tells you otherwise, eternity means that your life is getting bigger and bigger and better and better. Remember, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. But remember also, in Christ, you are being rebuilt to last forever. Amen.